it's okay, but uh, I wanted to share a topical study today. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, the Lord just kind of laid it on my heart to uh, go through this study. I've given it this title. It's called The Christian Olympian. The Christian Olympian. I don't know if, have any of you guys here been keeping up on the Summer Olympics, just out of curiosity? Uh, I know my family and I have been able to see bits and pieces here and there, and what we have seen has been both intense and inspirational. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm inspired by these athletes who virtually spend their lives repeatedly practicing, tirelessly training, making all those sacrifices in order to stand on top of that podium one day and represent their country with a gold medal. You know, that's their life work. And so to me, it's inspiring and it's challenging as well, especially when I read what I read here in 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 24. It says, do you not know that all those run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it or, or win it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, as I was sitting back there and just uh, looking out at the congregation, uh, thinking about you guys, my visualization was that everyone here would win that everyone here would be on that podium one day. The Bible calls it the Bema seat, when you stand before God. And my hope and my prayer is that everyone here would get the gold, so to speak. And that's a reality. That's not just some fictional you know, thought, inspirational motivation. No, that's reality, that we will stand before God one day and we will receive the rewards based on the lives and the service that we have lived. You see? And so when Paul was you know, looking at these Olympians and seeing the way they competed, it inspired him and challenged him to move the church you know, to compete for a different type of crown. You know, their goal is that crown that perishes, and our goal should be that crown that never perishes. But in order for that to happen, we do, in one sense, have to have our eyes on the prize. You know, make no mistake about it, the athletes of today who realized their dreams of winning that gold did so because they had gold as their goal, you see? You know, one story was highlighted uh, about an Olympian named Ryan Murphy who dreamed big as a child. When he was only eight years old, he made a little drawing announcing his quest for Olympic gold. Any of you guys hear about that guy, Ryan Murphy? I think we have a picture of his drawing. You see that little eight-year-old drawing, and, and look what he put. I hope my swimming life continues and I, and I become an Olympian when I grow up. I hope I will break the world records. I want to be the best swimmer in the world. The end. I like that, the end, you know. <laughs> and he you know, has that little visual there of him, you know, winning the gold, so to speak, you know. And, and sure enough, it came to pass. He became the best swimmer in the world in the 100-meter, 200-meter backstroke, and he won, he won the gold. 
You know, it started as a young kid. It was a goal that he had, you know. And, and for us, I think it's inspirational. It's fascinating. It's motivating, you know. His parents saved, preserved the drawing all those years, and everyone saw his dream become a reality when Ryan turned 21 in Rio. And he won the gold because he set that as his goal. You know, for us, in one sense, again, not, you know, something that we're just, you know, floating around in some cloudy truth. The reality is we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to receive rewards based on our faithfulness. And so we could be inspired by these athletes. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know I am. Uh, And there's another American Olympian, although I wouldn't necessarily consider him a role model in any way, um, but Michael Phelps. uh, You guys heard of that guy? Crazy dude, man. He definitely models the message uh, that we need to hear. A message that is missing in the church, and that is of hard work, discipline, sacrifice in order to achieve one's goals for gold. The quest to be the best you can be, really. You know, the last time I checked, I think he had 23 gold medals, two silver, two bronze. He's won more gold medals than any other person in Olympic history by far. He even has won more gold medals than many countries as an individual. Think about that. Now, when you look at Michael Phelps, you know, some might mistakenly think, well, it's because, you know, he's gifted or he's double-jointed. It's easy for him, you know, and they say his arm and and hand span are greater than his height, which is rare, you know, but um, we need to know that being gifted is part of it, so you need to find out what your gifts are, but that's never enough. That's only part of it. He has worked excruciatingly hard And he has a great coach who made him work harder. His coach said that after one practice, Michael Phelps was a teenager and he was messing around. And so the coach went up to him and said, hey, you just practiced hard. You should be tired. He was trying to keep him from messing around. And Michael Phelps looked him in the eye and he said, I don't get tired. To which the coach said, well, I'm going to make you tired. And he spent the rest of his training process pushing him to the max. He purposely included adversity within his training and he made Michael even stronger in doing so. The suffering, the sacrifice, the diversity of adversity in the end, and we need to know this as we go through hard times, it made him a winner when he stood on that platform. It made him different than most. As a matter of fact, his coach said, the higher the level of pressure, the better Michael performs. As expectations rise, he becomes more relaxed. That's what makes him the greatest swimmer in the world, you know? And, and you, know, you can learn things from him. You know, the funny thing is, when he was five years old, he was afraid of the water. Think about that. He didn't want to put his face under, but he conquered that fear, right? When he was just a little boy, some of you know he was diagnosed with ADHD, and they said he would never be able to focus on anything. How many of you have ADHD? <laughs> a lot of us do, right? But he overcame that diagnosis. He shattered that prognosis because he had a goal, and it was gold. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, they don't even have a goal. You know, what was his secret? I don't know if it's necessarily a secret, but he started swimming, of course, at a young age, uh, always worked harder than the rest. But at the age of 14, he began a work ethic That meant he was in the water working, tirelessly training for six hours every day, 
for nine years straight. I've heard stories about some Christians who want to take a day off. You can't do that. Not if you want to win the gold. That's, I mean, I trip out on the work ethic of this man who works so hard again for a crown that perishes. Make no mistake about it, Michael Phelps didn't just fumble through life and one day find himself propped up on the podium to get the gold. No, it was the training that he had this target, he had a goal, and he passionately pursued it every single day of his life. Now, if he does that for a perishable crown, why is it that oftentimes we Christians don't? And that's just one of the ageist realities that we live in. You see, so God sees, and God sees the way athletes would be in the world that we live in. And Paul here, he speaks on behalf of God. And notice again there in verse 25, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You know, what's the Lord saying there? What is God trying to make us do through this text? Well, it's pretty simple. I think we know we should work harder. We should work harder than they do. Not for salvation, because thank God Jesus did the hard work on the cross. Salvation is a gift. But we should work harder than them, because one day we'll stand before God at the Bema seat, and rewards will be given out on our service for our Savior. Therefore, we should work harder, because the Bible says that our crown is an imperishable crown. And so Paul here in our text, he tries to push us a little bit using athletes as uh, motivators. And I think if we catch the context, we really come away with something really cool. Notice again there in verse 24, he begins with a question. Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He begins with a question. As you go through 1 Corinthians, as a matter of fact, there's eight times where he begins with the same question. Don't you know? It's almost like, duh. You know, do you, know, do you not know? And, and, and basically what he's saying is these are elementary things. You should all know this as Christians. And we're going to see three things in our text that kind of stand out above others. Number one, that we must pursue victory. We must pursue victory. He says, you guys are all running in a race, but only one receives the prize. He says, run in such a way that you may win it, that you may lay hold of it, that you may obtain it. The word right here, it speaks of laying hold of, and our goal should be victory. You know, I thank God we're in the race, but we need to know and be thoroughly convinced that that's not enough. You know, I don't know about you, but I would be thrilled to be part of the Olympics. I made the Olympic team. But according to Paul and the expectations that God would have, that's not enough. We got to be in it to win it, right? That's what he's saying right here. You know, Paul no doubt senses that there's a lot of saints who don't have that drive to win. They, they don't have it. They're content with the fact that they're in it, but they don't have that heart to win it. As a matter of fact, when you study the letter to the Corinthians, they were a very carnal church. They were very gifted. But they didn't cultivate that gift, and they didn't exercise it in a biblical parameter, and therefore, 
They were very, very carnal. They had so much potential to win the gold. We do as Christians. But a lot of times we don't have the heart that it takes. You know, when that happens, when you're just in the race, you know, you're not really wanting to win, then your effort is lackadaisical. There's no zeal in your life, no passion, no enthusiasm, no determination. You become a Christian who's careless because in one sense you could care less whether or not you win or lose. And you see, Paul says that's not the way it should be for us as Christians. One thing i got to tell you is this, man. We should be pursuing victory. You know, and I think I mentioned this to you guys before. Forgive me for using this as an illustration. I don't remember the whole movie, but I do know that one of my favorite parts in any movie that I've ever watched in my whole life, and I'm almost 50 years old. This is a lot of movies, man. The one that stands almost head and shoulders above all the rest is Rocky II. And if you guys remember Rocky II, he, you know, he, didn't, he, he tried doing other things, man. He tried to make a living doing other things, but it just wasn't working out for him because he was a fighter, because he was a boxer, right? But if you remember, his wife wasn't on board. She didn't want him to fight because she was worried about him. And so what was going on, it was he was, he was you know, half-hearted in it. He wasn't really in it to win it, right? And so, um, you know, what ended up happening was she uh, got ill. She went to the hospital. She fell into a coma. So he's just there praying the whole time until finally, you guys forgive me for telling you the whole story, but she came out of the coma. And, uh, and then he told her, he said, you know, if you don't want me to mix up with Creed, you know, I won't, you know, we don't have to, we'll find another way. And then you remember, guys, you remember that, this, this scene? And she said, come here, I want to tell you something. And he said, what, what? And she said, this is what I want you to do. And he said, what, what? And she said, win. And then you hear the bell, dong. <laughs> win. And then you can hear the music, dun, 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 dun. You know, and it just, and then he starts training, you know? I mean, and it changed everything. It changed everything. Because now he had one goal. One And that was to win for his wife. And for us, that's the way it should be. To win for our Lord. You see? And now we have to pursue victory. That's what Paul is saying right here. You know, when you look at life as a Christian, you might wonder, well, what is winning? And there's a lot of things that that entails. What is winning You know, I mean, we already are are saved, thank God for that. But beyond that, what is winning? And I think it would probably be able to hear those words one day when you go into eternity where Jesus Christ himself would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's one thing I think of when it comes to winning. I think of the fullness of rewards. The Bible says that Jesus has rewards for us and don't let anyone rob you of your rewards to where all the rewards that were intended for you would be given to you. I think of just knowing the Lord, knowing it intimately. That's winning in this race as a Christian. As a matter of fact, that's biblical. Maybe you can put a marker here in 1 Corinthians and, and shoot over to Philippians uh, chapter 3.
Philippians chapter 3, and Paul again uses the athletic illustration. He says in verse 12, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, he's using the same truth, and it, it, they kind of, they're parallel passages, they're complementary scriptures. And, and what he's saying is this is if I reach for God, then there will be my reward. You know, that spiritual intimacy brings spiritual victory. At the end of the day, here's the way it works. If I know him, I win. You see? I mean, why did Christ lay hold of me? And that's what he's asking right here. You know, I press toward that goal. Not that I've already attained, but I press that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Why did he save you? So that you can know him. Why did he save you? So that you could serve him in some specific way. And for us, that's the way it works. I mean, the same Greek word is here, katalambano, to lay hold of. Same Greek word used in 1 Corinthians, to win it, to obtain it, to lay hold of that prize. And that's what he's saying, you know. Why did Christ lay hold of me? To know him, to make him known. I'm saved to seek him and to serve him. And so now, he, he says we got to focus on that. Notice he says right there, one thing I do. And that's important. I think that's part of the process of winning. You know, not a life of multitasking. It's not a life where everyone and everything matters equally because they don't. It's God first, then my family. There are certain priorities I have in life. No, the wisdom and discipline to focus on one thing will bring victory. You see, success is not about doing everything. It's about doing the right thing. And it's about knowing him, and we're going to see as we go through our text right here, and knowing what he wants me to do. See, when you pursue him, he's going to give you guidance through life. He's going to open and close doors. He will show you what to do. And then you can focus in knowing him and in serving him. Watch, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26, we see that part of the key to victory is making sure you don't run with uncertainty. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. You know, when you got a guy running. Imagine a guy running, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't know why he's running. Dude, you're in it to win it. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> or imagine a guy running and not knowing where to go. Well, you go left over there in that marathon and up that hill. Imagine running with uncertainty. There are some Christians who are like that. When I think of the uncertainty, I think of the why, the what, and the who. Why am I in this race? Why are you in this race? You are in this race to win. God puts you in the race to win. You know, I was talking to one brother, a really cool brother, and he was telling me about how he made a bet with a, uh, his father-in-law that he could run a marathon. And this was the day before the marathon was going to take place. 
He didn't do any training whatsoever. And so he just went into the marathon. And uh, it was kind of funny, to be honest with you, the whole thing about how they you know, started the marathon. And he said he ran you know, jogging because he knew people were watching him until he got under a bridge. And then he kind of collapsed where no one could see him. You know? and, but you know, eventually, he, he finished it. He, he won the bet with his father-in-law. Um, but he wasn't in it to win it. Right? He was in it just to see if somehow he could finish. I think there are some Christians who are like that. They don't know why they're in the race. They don't have no goal for any gold. They don't really want to hear. They don't work to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. They don't have it in their heart to receive all the rewards that would bring God glory. They don't even know why they're in it. That's one way of racing with uncertainty. Another thing I think is we race with uncertainty when you don't know what God wants you to do. You don't, you don't even know. You don't have your priorities. Your personal relationship with God, your family comes next, your wife, your children, your spouse, and then the flock, right? This is my life. You know, when you see someone like Michael Phelps swim, or when you see someone like Simone Biles, who won the gold and the all-around gymnast, gymnast you, you just know they were made to do that. You know, I think of someone like Michael Jordan, who was such an, an, an excellent basketball player, gifted, worked hard, but then, you know, you guys know, some of you know his story, eventually he decided to go become a baseball player. I was like, dude, why'd you do that, man? <laughs> You know, he wasted uh, some time. And you were made to play basketball. What were you made to do? What is your talent? What are your gifts? They have been entrusted to you. You're stewards of that. Some people, they're running with uncertainty. They don't know why they're in the race when they're in it to win it. And they don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. And they've been a Christian for how long? No, find out what God wants you to do. And then you do it with all your might. You do it with excellence. Not with uncertainty, why am I in it? Not with uncertainty, what does God want me to do? Not with uncertainty, like who am I running against? You know, I mean, if you think about it, that's very important. You know, a lot of times Christians believe that they're in this race and they're competing with other Christians. Let me tell you something, that's a horrible heart. We are not competing against other Christians, man. That, you know, as a matter of fact, what I want to do is actually encourage others to be the best that they can be. You know, so we don't fight against other Christians. We're not racing against other Christians. And, you know, for us as Christians, we do know that we have this battle against the, the devil and the world, right? Uh, the fallen angels and the fallen world, the sway he has on society, but here's the thing, and I think it's important for us to know that at the end of the day, ultimately, I can't control the devil and his demons, and I have no control over this world that we live in, 1 John 5.19, right? Um, but, you know, I can't control them, but here's the thing, they can't control me, but they want to. So ultimately, at the end of the day, what is your battle really against? Who is your worst enemy? Me. It's me. That's what Paul says right here. I discipline my body. Look at verse 26. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, 
No, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. It's about me. The devil can come and say, hey, check out that chick. But I say no, because I have brought my body into subjection. The devil can come and say, take a little drink or take a little toke. But I say no, because I have brought my body under subjection. I can see the billboard and I can see the television commercial because the world has a certain sway towards sin as a society. But I say no, because I can't control them. I can't control the devil, but I can control me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we run, and we're running to win, ultimately the victory is over me. And that's the way we run with uncertainty, you know, when we don't know who we're running against. The world tugs and the devil tempts, but God help us to triumph over me. You know, will I win against me? All this is part of the victory. So first point, pursue victory. Secondly, presume agony. Okay, that's the good news. Because <laughs> look what it says right there in verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. So, okay, we're talking about victory. Man, it's going to be easy, right? It's going to be easy because I'm gifted, right? And I got God on my side, right? Ain't no thing but chicken wing, right? There'll be no pain. No, now you're listening to a lie. And that's what a lot of times ends up, you know, disqualifying people from the race. No, we need to pursue victory and we need to presume agony. Expect it. The Greek word uh, here translated competes. It speaks of a contest, a contention, a striving, a struggle, difficulties and dangers. It's the Greek word agonizomai and it's the origin of our English word agony. So it's not going to be easy. And therefore, it's going to be tough. So we have to be temperate. That's what Paul says right here. And everyone who competes or agonizes for the prize is temperate in all things. And that word temperate, it speaks of self-control. It's a word used for athletes who, in preparing themselves for the games, abstain from unwholesome food or wine or sexual indulgences. It literally means to have a mastery over oneself. You see, because at the end of the day, the moment of victory requires a lifetime of mastery. You know, Simone Manuel, she made history becoming the first black American swimmer to win the individual gold in swimming. And, you know, she did that race, and it's an amazing race, but the whole race lasted 52.7 seconds, right? It was the moment of victory. But the moment of victory required a lifetime of mastery. You know, and she trained, and we've talked about this, working in that water, training tirelessly, the diversity of adversity. She went through it all because she knew that one day she would be tested. And the same thing happens to us. You know, when you're tested with whatever it is in life, you know, when you have to make a decision, and that decision is there, it happens. It's a decision that you make in 52.7 seconds, and it changes your whole life. And the reason you're able to win is because you have learned the discipline of tempering yourself, and you're a person of prayer, and you're in the Word, and you love the Lord. And that's been your whole life. And then one day, like when Joseph, and reading the Scriptures, you know, the, the she came, Potiphar's wife came, so beautiful. He's in his sexual prime. 
you know, 17 years old, 18, 19 years old, and here she is, beautiful. He could have her. And she just kept, you know, the direct approach, lie with me, lie with me. I mean, she wasn't beaten around the bush. What did David, what did Joseph do? He ran. He ran. And what did God do? God blessed him. Our life is like that. You know, you think, well, it's this big, long thing. No, it's those little moments, you know, of victory where we overcome, where we pass that test. Why? Because we have lived a life of mastery. We've gone through the the difficulties, the agony. We've taken up our cross and we deny ourselves. You see, in Christians, being Olympians, getting the gold, number one, we need to pursue victory. Number two, we need to presume agony. And then number three, we need to ponder eternity. Again, it says there in verse 25, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And I don't know if I ever, you know, guys ever think about that, but just the beautiful thought of eternity forever and ever and ever. You know, we live in this body, in a world, and we're tempted by the devil that wants us to live only for now. We live in a microwave society. We have a hard time waiting until later. But, you know, for us as Christians, we have to understand this truth that, that this, is, this is forever. You know, something that's interesting is the way that you live your life now it actually determines the way you will spend eternity. It's a heavy thought, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Thank God we're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God that we're free and forgiven and one day we'll be home with him to me. You know, in one sense, the most important part of heaven is just being with him. But, But here's the question. What will you do in eternity? For all of eternity what will be your responsibility and theologians a lot of them believe that that will be based on how you live your life now as a christian you know we don't have time to get into it but you know if you want hit me up i'll send you the notes and there's different there's different crowns in the bible that we're going to cast at jesus feet and we're going to give him glory in the process you know, there's different responsibilities we're going to have in that world forever and ever based on how we live today. And so they're doing it for a perishable crown. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the gold medal they received, it's only gold-plated. You guys knew that, right? 92% silver, 7.5% bronze. It's worth about $650, right? And I I know it used to be worth more. And then you're like saying, well, yeah, Manny, but they can auction it off. I heard about one gold medal that the Olympic, USA Olympic gold team was auctioning off for $310,000. And so you're thinking that's a lot of money, right? But what is that to eternity, right? I mean, eventually we know it's all uh, gonna burn. As a matter of fact, I was hearing a story by a guy named Charles Tremendous Jones. He was a great speaker, a really cool guy. And uh, years ago, uh, I guess, uh, there was a flood in his office. And underneath his office, he had what was called his trophy room. And so uh, after things subsided and the waters uh, were then drained out of the basement, he went into his trophy room and he found it to be nothing but a sea of mud. 
all of his important letters from people all around the world, including the presidents of the United States, his trophies, awards, rewards, mementos, they were all washed away and destroyed. And he said that as he looked down at the messy mud, he began to whine within, God, 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 you know, how could you allow all this to be destroyed by a flood? And he said he heard the Lord say to him, Oh, it's okay, I was going to burn it anyways, you know. <laughs> right? And, and everything, everything we have, right, is going to burn. And so for us, is that what you're working for? Is that what you're focusing? Is that, how you, is that what you're living your life for? Something that is just going to perish? Are you storing up rewards in heaven? Are you in it to win it? Not just that crown that perishes, but the one that doesn't? Are you motivated by that? Are you stimulated by that? Do you have your eyes on the prize to bring God glory? Remember what Jim Elliot said. He said, no man is a fool. He gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. I think there are many people within the church who need to start giving up things, letting go of things, in order that they might gain things that they would never lose. You know, for us, I pray God would lead us in this. And that you and I, you know, as we end life, and, you know, I thank God for every day I have, because I'll be honest with you, you know, and you guys know this, huh? You're well aware of this, that every day is a gift. You got tomorrow guaranteed? No. So you got to live every day for the Lord. I know that's my heart. I want to so bad. And in watching these guys working so hard for that crown that, that, that perishes, for that, you know, in those days they would give them a wreath. That was the equivalent of a little laurel wreath that would go on top of their head. You know, they do that for, for their God. What about us? We got the living God, Right? And so I just pray that you guys, we would be stimulated by this. It's not just some, you know, allegory. It's not just something you can look at and, okay, I can compare it to truth. No, it is the truth. It really is. Whether or not you and I will run in such a way that we might win. And one last thing uh, about Michael Phelps. You know, as he's finishing his career, and I don't know for sure if he is or not, um, he did say that he was, and he said this, I'm having fun again. He said, I'm enjoying what I'm doing again. He said, I think I'm at that point that whatever's left, I'll be able to turn the page and say, I was able to finish the way I wanted to. And to me, he said, that's all that matters. And as I was thinking about that in my life, I hope and pray that I'll be able to say the same thing, that I'll be able to finish the way God wants me to. That's the way I want to finish the race. And to me, that's all that matters.